All right, so as I said, we started a new campaign last week called Resilient uh, Christianity. Our culture is what's been described as a post-Christian culture, just meaning that uh, Christianity is losing influence largely, uh, broadly speaking, in our general culture in terms of truth claims, in terms of the way people live, uh, what people choose to do with their time, the, the thinking, morality, all of that stuff. Christianity is, has been waning in influence for some time, and it continues to... And so this begs the question of how we should respond as Christians. Do we respond by fighting fire with fire? Uh, do we respond with just running for the hills and avoiding culture altogether? I don't, I don't think so. That's not the biblical picture of how we are to respond in a culture that is not necessarily uh, centered on Christianity. Instead, we get this faithful presence picture in our culture, uh, or in Scripture. And in order to be a faithful presence in a culture that isn't as favorable towards Christian ideas and principles and towards Christians, we're going to have to be resilient. And for many of us, this is new ground that we're walking into as Christians. We have to develop these, this resiliency. And so we have to take the principles that we find in Scripture to heart and really live these out. Last week, we started by talking through his introduction, which was quite dense and Peter simply says in his introduction that believers are elect exiles in covenant relationship with God. So that's how we have to view ourselves, as elect exiles in our culture in covenant relationship with God. Now today he's going to get into the meat of his letter, the content of his letter, what he actually wants to say. Last week was just a long hello, right? Uh, today we're going to start seeing the content of what he wants to say. And really... It, in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 2, 10, his big picture theme, what he's trying to communicate is uh, he's connecting this, the church, the New Testament church, to the people of God from the Old Testament. Saying, like, you guys are the people of God. And reminding them of that, that they're this next step in redemption history, that they are God's chosen people. He's going to apply a lot of language from the people of Israel in the Old Testament to the church now. We'll see what he do, how he does this here. But let's begin. We're just going to read it. Uh, we're reading through verse 9, and then we'll go back and walk through it in more detail. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <laughs> That's dense, right? <laughs> There's a lot in there. We're going to take our time and walk through it. But just, first of all, just sit back and marvel at the beauty of those words. <laughs> I, these are some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. You, you probably hear me say that a lot. But this, this is true, okay? These are so good. Uh, and these words are so uh, applicable to everyday life. This is dense theology, 
But if we are to be resilient Christians, this is the type of thinking that we have to have. For when we face suffering, when we face trials of many kinds, he says, he's kind of laying the groundwork for us to say, here's the thinking that goes behind how you can be a resilient Christian. If you don't have this thinking, you won't be resilient, is what he's getting at here. And what we Christians need today, in 2024, I got it right, and we're only a couple weeks into it. (laughs) Nice job, John. Pat myself on the back there. Uh, usually I signed my checks from the previous year until like at least March. Um, <laughs> but what he's saying is it, we, we have to get this in today's day and age. Even though we aren't facing the direct persecution um, that the Christians in this culture were facing, we're facing the same cultural pressures. And for us to develop a resilient faith, we need to have this same theology and this same backbone. If we don't get this, we just won't be resilient. Okay, let's walk through this step by step. If it, uh, I almost like, I started like highlighting stuff and I'm like, I want to highlight the whole thing. Um, but I tried to restrain myself for the sermon today. It's all in the devotional. Uh, but what we're going to do is just walk through this text together. Okay, so he, he begins by saying here in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a doxology. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a formal expression of praise. So it, he's saying, blessed be or praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, no, now notice he's continuing this father theme. He used father in verse 2. Uh, he uses father again here. So he's continuing this family theme, and he's going to dive into a bit more in just a second. According to his great mercy. So why has God done this? Just because he's merciful, and he wanted to show mercy to his people. He has caused us, it is God who has done this, he has caused us to be born again. Okay, so if, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. Back to, back to the blessed be. Like, this is where resilient faith starts, uh, is in praise to God. When we see what God has done for us, that he has caused us to be born again, he's going to get into some of the, the blessings that come with this new identity, this new status that we have in Christ of being born again. But when we understand that, even to the smallest degree, The discipleship process is learning to understand this more and more. The ridiculous grace, the amazing grace that God has given us in salvation. As we understand that more and more, it should result in more and more praise. More and more glory to God and praise and love, devotion to him. That's where resilient faith starts. Is understanding what God has done for you and growing in that and then worshiping him more and more. So it starts in worship. For to have resilient faith, we need to be deep worshipers of God. Because according to his great mercy, what else do you do when you've been given such a great gift of mercy and grace, other than just praise and glorify him and thank him? He has caused us to be born again. Okay, so again, it is God who has done this. And this born-again language is something that if you grew up in the church like I did, uh, you hear a lot. I heard this term thrown around a lot for salvation, and rightfully so, because it's here in 1 Peter. Uh, Jesus says it in John chapter 3 when he's talking with Nicodemus, and he's going to articulate what that means in a second. So let's let him do that, what being born again means. Uh, But at first glance, what could be more dramatic? (laughs) in life, right? 
of a change, a change in life, of, of a new start. You're born again. You're new. Paul talks about it as being a new creation. We are made new in Christ. We are born again. Now, what does that mean? He's going to give us two things that this means that we are born into. The first one is a living hope. <laughs> We're going to sing that song later today, obviously. I texted John, and I was like, hey, man, <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm uh, preaching on this text today. And he's like, it's already, it's already locked and loaded. It's like, you're good. He's good. Uh, he knew where I was going. <laughs> We're born into a living hope, he says. Our hope is living in that it is not dead. Okay. So say that seems obvious, um, but living could mean like growing or changing. Like, no, it, it, it's living in that it isn't dead. And I'm going to be just a bummer for a quick second to help reframe our perspective. Um, but when I ask you, what is your greatest hope? Your hope is tied to your greatest longing, right? What you hope for, if you have hope, it's tied to what you long for the most, Okay. So what is your greatest longing? What is your deepest hope? If it's anything other than in Christ, in the resurrected Christ, it all ends in death. Right? It's not a living hope then. It's a dead hope. Everything that this world has to offer that we can put our hope in is a dead hope. A house, a spouse, a car, Wealth, health, I even made these rhyme for you guys. Look at that. <laughs> Whether it's luxury, happiness, even good things like reconciliation with a disconnected relationship. If that is where our hope ultimately lies, it is a dead hope. Because when we die, that hope dies with us. But if our hope is in Jesus... Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, if our hope is in him, our hope never dies. Our hope is alive forevermore because Jesus is alive forevermore. And so Christian, if we're to have a resilient faith and we are born again new into this living hope, where is your hope? Is your hope in Christ or is it in something else? If it's anything else, it's dead. It's gone at death. It's temporary. It's not real, eternal, everlasting hope. So why would we put our hope in something that's worse? <laughs> that doesn't bring fullness of life. Our hope that we have in Christ brings hope for eternity. It never dies. It's always alive because Jesus is always alive. He has mastered and overcome death. And so when our hope is in him, we can have an everlasting hope. So we have to ask ourselves, where is our hope ultimately? And where is our hope really? <laughs> right? Again, if you're raised in the church like me, you're kind of conditioned to just say the answer and not actually reflect on the longing of your heart. What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time desiring? What do you long for? What do you spend your money on? What gets you all fired up and passionate is it worship? Is it this living hope that we have in Christ? Or is it other stuff? Those things are second, secondary. 
<laughs> Playoffs started this week, and hey, I'm a Bears fan, and I was talking trash last week, so I'm going to eat those words, all right? Um, <laughs> but as a Bears fan, I've learned to have a living hope, right? And this is, that's a stupid example, but you get it, right? <laughs> Because they give us no reason to actually have hope, but I have to have this like eternal, undying hope in my team. Hey, it worked for the Cubs, and the Cubs eventually won a World Series. We're back at the bottom now, which is sad. Anyways. <sighs> okay. This living hope that we have, it has to be rooted and centered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's only through him that we have this hope at all. So... Don't put your hope in something secondary or something as silly as a sports team. <laughs> it has to be rooted in Christ. And then it is eternal. And then we're also born again into this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Inheritance in this day and age, in this culture, uh, was essentially uh, a son's by right, even if they didn't attain it yet until their father passed it on to them or their father passed away and handed it to them. So this is a great illustration of what Peter's trying to talk about. Uh, that this inheritance that we have, he's going to say that this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time and we haven't attained it yet in full. This inheritance that Christ has given us or that we have in Christ. But essentially it's ours now is what he's trying to say. So like an inheritance that uh, it's not, it wasn't the son's technically <laughs> until the father passed, but it was theirs by right. So what he's trying to say is this tension of like, yeah, it's yours and you have it, but you haven't achieved the fullness of it yet. Okay. So we're, we'll, we'll see that play out with this salvation theme as Peter keeps going, but inheritance is a great example of this. So first, notice how Peter says that they are born again into a living hope and into an inheritance. Remember, his audience has been exiled. They've been uprooted from their home and sent away to these distant regions of the Roman Empire and Asia Minor. So he's saying, hey, talk about hopeless, <laughs> right? They're away from home. They were persecuted in their former home. They're being persecuted in their new home. Nobody wants them. And he's saying, you've been born again into a living hope through your heavenly father that can never be taken away. So now you're hopeless, you have hope. And now he says, your inheritance, which was taken from you. Okay, your inheritance is all tied to the land that you own in this culture. Right? If you don't own land, you have very little to pass on to your, the next generation. So your inheritance, their inheritance was in jeopardy because they were uprooted from their land. That meant their financial stability was gone. Right? So much, much worse, like, also their social situation is gone. Their financial situation is in utter decay and ruins. They have nothing to pass on to the next generation. And so Peter says, no, now you have an eternal hope in Christ and an eternal inheritance that God has given you. So even the Christians who were Gentile Christians in these uh, cities in Asia Minor or regions of Asia Minor, when they accepted Christ and came into the church, they would likely be disowned by their family, whether they were Jewish, practicing Jewish, or they uh, practicing Judaism, or they were in pagan Roman religions. 
So when they're disowned from their family, there goes their inheritance too. And there goes all of their financial stability for the future. Okay, so these are, there's meat to this, what these folks are facing. Like these are real problems that they have to deal with. And Peter's giving them real hope in the midst of it. He's saying, your, your true inheritance is in what God has given you as your heavenly father. Remember this theme, father, born again, inheritance. He's drawing on this theme. And this inheritance is imperishable. It's free from death and destruction. It is undefiled. It is free from moral decay and evil and corruption. And it is free from the inevitable decay and degradation of time. It is unfading. For the Jews, for the people who came out of Judaism, this really hit home for them as well because their inheritance throughout the Old Testament was connected to the land. And the land was vulnerable to all of those things. It was vulnerable to being taken away from them, perishing, and it was, by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Romans. It was defiled by their immorality and failure to uphold to the standards of the Mosaic law. And it was fading. Even the fruits of the land would eventually rot and decay. But this new inheritance that we have in the new covenant relationship with Christ is not vulnerable to any of those. It is far superior. It is far better than anything they could have imagined. And it is secure. Why? Because it is kept in heaven for you. So they can take your land and your inheritance, the Romans can, by just exiling you and kicking you out. They can't take this inheritance from you. Nobody, nothing can take this inheritance from you because it is kept in heaven for you by God. Okay, so not only is your inheritance secure and kept in heaven for you, but you are secure as a part of the covenant family relationship with God. Why? Because in verse 5, because those of you who, by God's power, it is God's power who is guarding you through your faith. So you get this tension between your faith and God's action in guarding you for a salvation, this full deliverance from the moral, the moral corruption, decay of all of creation, the evil that creation is exposed to. This salvation that is ready to be revealed, he's looking to the future in the last time when Jesus will return and make all things right. So it's pretty secure, <laughs> understatement of the year, right? Like your, your inheritance is kept in heaven for you and even you are secure because you're secured by God's power through faith for this salvation that he's gonna bring in full when Jesus returns. Talk about hope. Talk about security of this hope. Remember, he's trying to give people hope who are suffering and have lost everything. Forgot I highlighted that. <laughs> okay, so that's, oh, that's so good. In this, when he says in this, in verse six, he's talking about all of three through five. So this gift that God has given us, this new life that he's given us, in this you rejoice. This is the first main verb in this section. When you're looking for the main idea in a passage, you look for the main verbs. Sometimes it's not as clear in English, but this is the first main verb here. So this is the point that he's driving at, is to rejoice. 
Rejoice in what God has done in giving you new birth, causing you to be born again. Rejoice in that. Find joy in what God has done for you, even in the midst of the suffering that they're experiencing. Though now, for a little while, this persecution, this suffering that you're facing now, and he can say this, right? Not because the time here is, sh- is that short, but because eternity is so long. It's for a little while. This trials that we face now, the time is short compared to eternity that we will spend with God. So that blessing of new life, that living hope, that inheritance that is eternal, that will last forever. If necessary, and it likely will be for a time, you have been grieved by various trials. Various trials here is a broad term. They're facing mild persecution now, like ostracization. They're disowned by their families, etc. They've lost their inheritance and financial stability. And they're facing a lot of cultural tensions as well. He goes on. So that, why have these trials happened? The tested genuineness of your faith. I love this. Okay, th- guys, this is so good. Peter, scripture, this is why I love the gospel so much. He doesn't, he handles this tension so well. And the gospel handles this tension so well of our everyday experience of pain and suffering and evil that happens. He doesn't, he doesn't just write it off and say like, oh, if you just like escape to this next level of consciousness, like you won't feel the pain anymore. That's nonsense. That's silly because there's suffering in the world all around us that we experience on a daily basis. Sad things happen. Evil exists. He doesn't just sugarcoat it, but he gives us real genuine hope in the midst of it by pointing us to what God has done in salvation for us and how he has caused us to be born again into this eternal hope and inheritance that he's given us. So he doesn't sugarcoat it, but he gives you real hope too at the same time. He addresses the real, the reality of suffering and pain in the world, and he also gives you a real genuine hope. And he's going to root it all in Christ and what Jesus has done for us. He's going to do that later on in the letter. So that, what do these trials do? They prove the tested genuineness of your faith. Think of trials as not like uh, just a difficult time. He's using trials as like something that reveals the genuineness of something. So think of it like a lab experiment or like a stress test. You've ever had one of those where you wear the mask and stuff and they, the idea is to stress your cardiovascular system uh, and your respiratory system and then to say like, are you in shape or not, <laughs> right? It's, it's proving what's going on. Like if, if your heart, lungs, everything are in good shape or not. The tested genuineness of them. Are they good quality or not? What are they made of? more precious, oh man, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Your faith, the genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold. Gold is valuable, your faith is more valuable. When it is proven to be genuine is what he's getting at here. Gold, I'm not going to get into this much, all right. The refining process, you melt it, you burn it, right? It's expose it to a ton of heat. And then the impurities either burn out or rise to the top and you're left with a more pure gold. Okay. So that's the image that he's getting at for these trials and the testing and this, this broad sense of the things that reveal 
the genuineness of your faith, that test your faith, which are things we all, situations we all face, may be found results in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's two ways to read this. Uh, is he referencing this? Is like, our praise, glory, and honor given to God at the end? Um, or praise, glory, and honor given to the believer who has endured the test and found their faith to be more genuine. I think it's the latter one about, and those are attested to elsewhere in scripture, that the praise, glory, and honor is given to the believer. Even the term praise, if you're uncomfortable with that, it can be translated as approval. Uh, So the idea is like Jesus in Matthew 25 says like, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the idea he's getting at. So notice, Peter has no qualms about holding out the rewards of eternity. (laughs) We shouldn't either when we're going through times of pain and suffering. This is why I love this verse so much, these texts. Because when I talk with people who are suffering and going through pain, I know many of you are. It doesn't discount your suffering. It doesn't just sugarcoat it again, but it gives you real hope in the midst of it. Though you have not seen him, you love him, he says. <laughs> oh, so good. They haven't seen him. They haven't seen Jesus like Peter has, yet they still love him. So this is the second of our three verbs in this whole long sentence, is you love him. Peter's emphasizing these ideas of joy. So rejoice is the other verb here. There's three of them. Rejoice, rejoice, and love him. Those are the main ideas he wants us to see. It's love Jesus. Rejoice in the salvation that he has brought us. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. (laughs) Perhaps... (laughs) You've ever been filled with joy or with something that you just like words don't words don't describe it. They're not good enough to describe what God has done for you. And that's what he's getting at here. This is why we worship so much together as a church and we sing so much. We're trying to put words to the indescribable. It doesn't work. <laughs> it works to a degree, but they're insufficient at the end of the day. Because this joy that we can have in Christ and what God has done for us is just so glorious. It's indescribable. Because we are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he's talked about that in the future. Now he's talking about it in the present. We are obtaining now the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. (laughs) We can live in it now, but it will be fully realized in the end when Jesus returns. Band, you guys can come and get set up here. Salvation is likely speaking more broadly of going to heaven when you die. It's talking about deliverance from all the effects of sin on creation. Soul, it also doesn't mean the ghost in the machine idea. It's referring to the seat or center of life, both now and for eternity. That being the case, Peter is is telling us that we are now experiencing, in part, what we will experience then in full when Jesus returns, 
the full deliverance of all of who we are and all of creation from the effects of sin. That's big, right? And that's worth contemplating. And that's worth reflecting on. And that gives you real hope. It means in our inner life, hatred is turning to love. It means sickness to health. Lies to truth. Hostility to peace. Injustice to justice. Pride to love. Bitterness to mercy. Anxiety to trust. Depression to joy. Hopelessness to a living hope. Now we can experience this in part, meaning we will never experience it fully until Christ returns and makes all things new. But through the process of discipleship, what we do experience now produces that longing and that hope for when Christ returns and makes all things new. And he will wipe every tear from our eye for the former things have passed away. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, God, we thank you for these words, for the hope that you give us, the hope of inheritance, the assurance of these things, that these things are secure because they are secure in you, God. And so, Lord, we worship you. We praise your name. We want to glorify you. To have this resilient faith, we want to begin with worship. For what you have done in causing us to be born again to a living hope and inheritance. You are so good, Lord. And all that we are just worships you as we experience more and more the salvation of our souls. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our big idea, which I forgot to say, uh, is because God has caused us to be born again into hope and an inheritance. And he's preserving our salvation. We can rejoice even in trials. To summarize the big idea, uh, <laughs> we can be people of joy in any circumstance because God's got us. And I don't say this uh, like a cheesy Christianese line or country song or mom blog. Uh, this is real hope. Again, this is real. He acknowledges the reality of suffering and pain in the world and gives us real hope in the midst of it. Because Jesus experienced the pain and the suffering and still rose from the dead to give us real hope, to give us an inheritance that can never fade away, that is secure. And, and again, this is hard for me as a pastor to preach this text, right? Because I know the suffering that so many of you are facing physical ailments, mental illness, caring for loved ones, the loss of loved ones, financial crises. I know some of your stories and what you guys have walked through. And I've also experienced your faith and your joy through it and in the midst of it. It's inexpressible. It's glorious. And it's an honor 
to be in community with those of you who have gone through so much pain. And where the genuineness of your faith has been proven time and time again. That is so valuable, church. Don't discount the value of that when you're walking through these times of pain and suffering. That you have proven that your faith is genuine and that God has got you. walk through these times. We can love God through these times. Have joy because God has given us new life into a living hope and an eternal inheritance. Because God is guarding us by his power through our faith for the fulfillment of your salvation. So even in trials, they reveal the genuineness of your faith which will result in praise, glory, and honor. And you, <laughs> are receiving, you're experiencing the outcome, the end goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. <laughs> what you have experienced now in part, you will experience then in full. And so you can have hope. And you can look to the inheritance that Christ has for you. That God has secured for you in heaven. You can trust and know that if you are in Christ, that he is guarding you in this salvation. That will be revealed in the end. And so you can walk through these times. You can endure. You can be resilient through the trials that will come your way that will test the genuineness of your faith. And you can even worship in the midst of it. You can experience joy in the midst of it. Because we have this eternal perspective that these trials are temporary. Eternity is a long time to be in the presence of God. So church, we can be people of joy, we can love Christ, we can worship Christ in any circumstance because God's got us. What a beautiful promise. It gives us hope. Would you pray with me? Then we're gonna sing one more song. Lord, pray that you would just stir inside the hearts of your people, Lord. Lord, you would give us hope. Give us joy in the midst of times of suffering and pain that we can worship even in the trials that we face. We can view them through the lens of testing, revealing the genuineness of our faith that is more precious than gold. Lord, I pray that your spirit would minister to your people. Give us this resilience that comes from this perspective, that comes from Jesus, you holding on to us, preserving us, guarding us. And Lord, we long for the day when our hope will be realized. And we'll be with you in eternity, in the new creation. Pain and suffering, death will be no more. 
and you will wipe every tear from our eye. Behold, I make all things new. But in the here and now, we press on, we persevere in the strength that you have given us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.